What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carol Matchett. How are you, sir? Raring to go for the new year. Carol Matchett, the Reds are top of the league. What do you make of that after 19 games? Uh, Unexpected would be the first word I would use to describe it. Um, Very much appreciated would be my second uh, assessment. And third, I would think that on the balance of everything that's happened, deserved which is also unexpected, but I think is actually correct, even if you just, you know, ignore the fact that, you know, literally we deserve it because we've got more points. I think we've actually been more consistent than anybody else that I've watched at all this season. So mm. although I don't think that we're at the level we're capable of and we all expect a bit more improvement, we've been better than everybody else, actually. Yeah, I mean, if you look... If you look at the top five, because I think there's five teams that can make Champions League this year. We've dropped points in seven games, Arsenal in seven games, Villa in seven games, City in seven games, and Spurs in eight games. The difference is we've only lost once. And even that defeat came with a massive asterisk on it because of the situation with the VAR. So we have been the most consistent in that we've only lost once and it wasn't a real loss, even though, well, it, it was a real loss, but you know what I mean. The six draws does concern me a little bit, though, Carl, because we have lost titles in the past because we've drawn too many games. And when I look at the draws, I mean, at the time, obviously, Chelsea away, we didn't play well. You take the draw. But in hindsight, it looks like two points dropped because they've been so bad. I would say the same of of Brighton. They've been quite poor this season. So in hindsight, it looks like two points drop. But like with the Chelsea one, I was happy enough with the draw at the time. The Luton one is obviously a bad result. That That is two points drop, no matter what way you look at it. This The draw away to City is a fine result. Absolutely fine. No issues there. United is another one that feels like a massive, massive loss, where we've dropped two points against a bad team. And then obviously Arsenal. And I think I think a draw was a result we would have taken pre-game. But given 
what took place in the game, given the Stonewall penalty we were denied, and given we missed a ridiculously strong chance to make it 2-1 when Trent hit the crossbar, it felt like two points dropped. So if you take Arsenal, United and Luton, if we'd had if we'd won those games, that's six points more. If we'd gotten correct refereeing against Spurs, that's maybe seven points more. And we would look very, very comfortable. And even though we haven't played anywhere close to what I think we're capable of on a consistent basis, we would actually be looking at a 49-point tally from 19 games, which is really, really strong. So there's just a couple of little moments that have separated us from being way out in front in a really strong position to, we're top, but there's a lot of challenges to come. But I think you're right. I think we have been the most consistent. I think we do deserve to be here. And as I look back over our shoulder at the table, it's the team in fourth that caused me the most concern because they're five points behind us. They've got a game in hand and they haven't played this season. They've just kind of drifted through the first 18 games of their campaign. Yeah. And if I'm if I was Arsenal, I'd be very concerned at the fact that City have not yet started to play. They're getting KDB back soon. And if they win their game in hand, they go above you. I think that's a really bad marker for Arsenal, considering I think I I, I think they believe they're better than City, and yet the table will probably show quite shortly that they're not. My impression of those two teams in particular, and I'm not going to talk about Aston Villa in title terms. I refuse to do so a couple of weeks and they've dropped five points out of six since then uh, over Christmas, just as you know, we basically said, once you start playing the games more regularly and you're playing the same teams and you do drop off with one or two star players, you very, very quickly find out the difference between a good half a campaign and a, a, and a, a season where you challenge for things, whether that's top four or title. So let's just leave them aside for now. Um, Man City, my impression of them is that they've been in third gear a lot of the time and second gear some of the time. Arsenal, I have found to be in second gear the vast majority of the time and in first gear for a lot of matches or at least a lot of spells in matches where they're playing really well at times, but they need to to get those points. And if they are, let's say now, just facing a bit of a drop-off where they've only now won one of the last four Premier League games, so maybe this is you know one of their, let's say, two spells across the campaign where they might drop a few points in consecutive matches, they're only now hitting that patch and Man City are only the game in hand that they have on them behind them. Yeah, I think that that's quite, quite an indictment of there is still a gap. I do think a lot of that is... Um, squad depth because you know I've said before I think Arsenal's 11, 12, 13 maybe even 14 is pretty much of the same standard but beyond that it's not whereas Man City can probably go to 16 or so and still have it very much of the same level Uh, and that is something that's to be expected because Arsenal are not there and it's also to be expected because the mentality that you gain the self-belief that you gain from actually going on and winning something the title or a Champions League that does only come to plays after they've done it and they haven't for Arsenal and they have for Man City so again Mm. there is that mentality gap there still which across the course of an entire year will count for quite a bit 
Um, I think Liverpool have just been more consistent on their level, though. I'm not talking here about scintillating performances, but I just mean the level of overall match showing, let's say. So incorporating everything, the tactical plan and how close you get to that, your technical level and how close you get to that, and how often you do all of the things combined defensively and attacking in every single game. Liverpool have been the most consistent at that. And that is, I think, the only reason that we're the only team to have lost once because the others haven't. City have had quite a few really ragged games. I don't mm. really think we've had more than two or three ragged games, even yeah. if we haven't played well football-wise. Yeah, I fully agree. I also think you look at you look at both ends of the pitch. When you look at title contenders, you've got to look at both ends of the pitch. We have the best goalkeeper in the world, and we have Mohamed Salah. Now, we have question marks in our other two attacking spots, but getting Diogo Jota back, a proven Premier League goal scorer, is a big, big boost for us. And we still have the possibility of Darwin going on a hot streak, Gakbo and Diaz recovering their form. You look at City, well, they have Haaland to come back into their team, who's a freak. They have KDB to come back into their team. As a creator, he's a freak of nature. And they've got Ederson, who's, I don't believe, a world-class goalkeeper. I think he's overrated, but he's a very good goalkeeper. You look at Arsenal. They're starting front three have scored 10 goals between them in the league this season, Carl. 10. Saka, Jesus, Martinelli. They're three very, very good football players. They've only scored 10 goals between them. And at the other end of the pitch, would you really put your faith in either of those goalkeepers? I don't think they have the pieces in place to win a title. And then you talked about mentality. It also goes to the manager. I think Arteta is too, I think he's too emotional. I think he lets perceived slights and perceived wrongs get into his own head in the wrong way. And I think that can translate into his team. I think it did last season. And the thing with this Arsenal team, like you said, as City last season, winning the league, winning the Champions League, that not that now that know-how of how to do that is huge. Well, what do these Arsenal players have? Well, last season, they were eight points clear with 10 games to go, nine games to go. And they ended up losing the league by six points. They took only 15 points from a possible 30 in their last 10 games. The season before, they were nailed on for top four and managed to fall over the line and finish fifth. So Arsenal don't know how to finish a season strong. City do. We do, as we have done in three of the five seasons prior to this one. That's why I think, regardless of what Arsenal have done, you know, I think ourselves and City just are better set up to go and win a league title. I think Arsenal have issues in a lot of areas. Like you said, like they're playing 
about as well as they're capable of playing in a lot of these games. And yet they're really struggling. Like you look at the 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 Brighton game, just as an example, they go one nil up, they dominate the game. They can't find a second goal. And yet Brighton miss a big chance, which could easily have made it 1-1. And then they get the second because Brighton are forcing the issue and, and committing too many bodies forward. But that could easily have ended in a 1-1 draw. You look at some of their other games, the Wolves game, as an example, another one where they, you know, they dominated the game, but struggled to score. Brentford, they dominated the game. Could have been 2-0 down, despite dominating the game. They came on to win the game in the end themselves. But like, they have a number of performances like that. They're just not, they're not good enough in attack. Their build-up play through midfield is far too reliant on Odegaard and he's having to drop quite deep to get himself involved in their first phase build-up, which is taking him out of being involved in later build-up. And then the goalkeeper, like, I, I think their defence, obviously 18 goals conceded is pretty good, but it's worse than they had last season. And the goalkeeper just always looks like he's on the brink of a howler. I just don't see it with them. I don't see them as a team that can win the league this year. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. No, I agree. I mean, we've said from the start of the campaign that it's cities to lose and they're you know, comfortably the best side. And even at the start of the campaign, when we thought there was quite a lot of work for us to do, we'd be surprised if anybody finished above us other than these two teams, Arsenal and Man City. But even, I'd say, as, as early as September maybe into October. I think we were at least between us quite comfortable that we would finish second at worst this season. Um, and I, I think that that's only continued to show that that's the case. And maybe, it'll, you know, maybe Arsenal signed someone in January or they just improved tactically. But I do think that there are too many defensive concerns to really see them as a credible threat. And especially with the goalkeeper, I think that that's just mm. job number one that you have to improve. Even if your forwards are not, capable of scoring 15 apiece or whatever. I think you can make up with that if the whole team is rounded out really well. 
but nobody else can cover for a goalkeeper being below elite. And that is very, 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 very regularly what you need to win a title. Yeah. I mean, the only non-elite goalkeeper to win the Premier League title, I think, is Casper Schmeichel. I think if you look back, Peter Schmeichel, great. Tim Flower is very good. Peter Schmeichel, great. Seaman, great. Mark Bosnich was was good, not great, but he was good and he was capable of being great. Um, Jens Lehmann, obviously a great a great goalkeeper. Petr Cech, an old timer. Van der Sar was incredible. Like you just don't find teams with average goalkeepers winning the league, other than that Leicester season. But I think he was more consistent and more reliable than David Rea. It was also a fluke season where the league was just trash. And they managed to win the title with a points tally that you'd be lucky to get third with now. So I just, I don't think you can win the league with a goalkeeper that bad. I think that defence can be got at last night. I mean, Jared Bowen just took the game to Saliba and made him look very, very average. I think our mistake against Arsenal was not playing Darwin as the nine and really having a go at Saliba and having a go at Ben White, both of whom I think can be got at. I think you can get at the other side obviously a lot easier because Zinchenko defensively is not that strong. And Gabriel, while I think he's good, he can be quite rash. They can make an internal improvement if Thomas Partey gets fit again because he's an upgrade on Rice as a six, and then Rice goes back into playing as an eight. And I think a Partey-Rice-Odegaard midfield three is really, really strong, both on and off the ball. I think that's a very, very good midfield. If they get Tommy Asu back, he can improve the defence for them. But you're still going to have a bad goalkeeper. And ultimately... I just don't think you can win the league with a bad goalkeeper. Not if not if City kick into gear. Like City have not yet put their strong run of games together, which we know at some point they will. They'll rattle off, you know, 15 wins out of 17 with, with a draw in there as well. Because that's just what they do. And they haven't done anything like that yet this year. And yet they'll be above Arsenal if they win their game in hand. And that that I think just speaks to the the gulf between the two, um, and it's just you know all we can do is is do what we do, and get the best results we can get, and keep playing our football. And you know we've got players to come back as well. Andy Robertson is to come back at some point. Thiago to come back at some point. Alexis to come back quite soon. Apparently, could be ready for Newcastle. So we have internal improvements we can make as well, but. Given where we are, Carl, surely the club have to be looking at January and thinking, right, there is an opportunity here. There is an opportunity here. We've got a lead on City and maybe, just maybe, we can do enough to stave them off. Maybe KDB comes back and he gets hurt again. Maybe Haaland is out another month and we can open up a bit, bit of a bigger gap. So with that said... What would you be looking for Liverpool to do in January? Because I think I think there's three positions we need to be looking at to upgrade. Obviously, 
the left back, left centre back hybrid kind of role, the holding midfield role and left wing. They're the three I think we need to be looking at upgrading. If it was you, what would you look at in January? I think my preference would be the holding midfield role. And there are sort of three three reasons for that, really. Um, one, I would only do it for any of them if we already knew who we wanted for it, first of all, regardless of which position we go for. So let's assume they've already made their decisions and whether that's Kamara or Polina or someone totally different, they know who they want. If that person's available, then they can go get them. So that would be my preference. First of all is because we don't have that specialist, or I should say we don't have that top-level specialist. So if there's already someone to come in and play, for one of a better term, let's say a destroying version of the number six, because that's certainly what we don't have. Alexis maybe as a part protector, but mostly playmaker. Then you've got Endo, who is let's say more of a shuttler and more of a, I suppose a little bit more towards the destroyer in terms of winning the ball back quite regularly, but certainly not a top class screener. So if that's available, firstly, that fits in as we are at the minute. Secondly, it fits in perfectly with how we think we would use Trent if we move more regularly to him in midfield as a starter. And thirdly, aside from obviously Endo is not going to be there because he's off to, um, Asian internationals in January, the move would also allow a bit more flexibility around the number eights. Because if Alexis is moving forward, there are going to be games when we're short in the final third and either Elliot or Soboslai are then able to mm. play across January, February, and obviously beyond that, uh, in that front three line from one side or the other. And obviously Sal is going to be away Diaz, we know, has been very, very hit and miss this season form-wise. Uh, Jota's injury record, I don't think, is very reliable, certainly at this point. So I think that while I do want a forward to come in, because I think we are of a lower overall level at the minute than we need to be, mm. I think it's more beneficial that a holding midfielder comes in to both ends of the pitch, basically. Yeah, see, I, I do fully agree. The issue is... I don't think they're going to go for Polina. And I think it's probably his age that's the biggest factor. Like, if you look at what Endo has done in recent weeks and how effective he's been, and I think he's had by far the best sort of three-game run of his Liverpool career. I thought he was really good against Sheffield United. I thought he was very, very good against Arsenal. I thought he actually outplayed Rice in that midfield battle and he was good against Burnley but like he's not doing anything spectacular he's just going out and winning the ball getting involved in challenges protecting the defence and then he is quite good with his progressive stuff like he's he's comfortable to carry the ball into space he's forward thinking with his passes but I look at Polina and I think, well, he could be a supersized version of that. He's bigger, he's stronger, he's faster, and he's just a better player. So I do think he'd make sense, but I just don't think we'll do it. I have a feeling we might be looking at someone like Kamara for the summer. I think if Czech Dekure hadn't torn his Achilles, I think we might have revisited that one from the summer. But I think he's now going to be off 
the mark for us entirely. I don't think we buy someone coming off an Achilles tear, not after the Benteke fiasco, um, where we didn't realise he'd lost his pace, despite the fact that we had an entire year of evidence post Achilles tear that he'd lost his pace. I think it will be someone like Kamara or maybe even a Gamerish, even though I don't really see him as a six. I think they might look at him and think, well, that's kind of what we want. A bigger, stronger version of Alexis in there. But neither of them are going to be available in January. They're summer buys, especially considering both are rumored to have buyout clauses for next summer. And you know how much we love a buyout clause. So if we're not going to do that, I have a feeling what we might just do is try and patch the midfield together for the rest of the season. I hope that Thiago comes back and of the 19 games, maybe he plays 10 of them. We'll hopefully get Besetic back at some point. Maybe he plays five. Endo will come back from the Asian Cup. Curtis hopefully will stay fit. Alexis is back and Dominic and Harvey are there as well. And, and obviously uh, Ryan Gravenberg. So I think they might look at it and go, you know what, numbers-wise, we'll we'll just cobble it together for the rest of the season. So I think if they are to do something, I think more likely is a defender. I think we actually could do with two because I think I'd, I'd like another centre-back. Uh, I know Quance has been outstanding. I'm including him in the centre-back group. But I feel like Joe Gomez is better as a fullback than a centre-back these days. So I would like another centre-back, but I don't think we'll do that in January. I'd like that left-sided one in January, but they have to make a decision on what type of left-back they want. Like, Costas is obviously a good player. I just don't feel like he's good enough long-term. He's certainly never going to be first choice for Liverpool. And Andy Robertson is declining. So do you go with a Robertson mould of left-back, you know, someone like an Eight Nuri and a Stupinen, uh, an Anthony Robinson. I, I'm not a big fan of his. I think he makes too many mistakes. I think he's got some limitations on the ball. But do you do that or do you go for more of the kind of left-back, left-centre-back type? I think Capie, Ananasio, a Tiete, potentially potentially someone like Bastoni, given Inter's financial situation, could you try and take advantage of that and go with a bid for him and see what they say? Now, I think Hincapié is the one that actually fits the best because he has more experience as a left-back and even as a left-wing-back. And if you were in a pinch, he could sit into midfield for you and do a job there. But he's not going to be available in January. And if he is the one that they've targeted that might mean that waits till summer as well. But Inacio has a buyout clause and is available. And we apparently have looked at him quite strongly in the past. So I feel like if we're going to do something, he might be the one that we actually just pull the trigger on and say, look, just get him. He can play left back in a four. He's comfortable on the ball. He's a really, really good passer. He can play center back if you need. He's a bit small for what we like as a center back, but he can do that but he fits into a back three perfectly. So while I would prefer the holding midfielder, I think more likely is a defender. And I mentioned left wing. That is entirely 
reliant on Trent staying at right back, moving into midfield rather than being a midfielder. Because I think if Trent is a midfielder, we're either changing to a midfield four or Dominic is moving into the front three and Trent is playing right side of the midfield three. And in which case, Gomez obviously becomes the right back, but then I would want us to go and get a right back in the summer to, you know, to compete with Joe or, or be the starter. Yeah, I mean, it's not a, an overhaul like we needed last year, but obviously the tactics have changed, so certain additions and switches are required. And I think what you said about deciding what kind of left-back we want is correct, but also what kind of right-back we want is the, is the knock-on effect of that, isn't it? Um, whether we want one who is going to play every single week as a defensive or holding or overlapping or one who can come inside to that midfield zone, even if Trent is there, whatever way around they envisage it being the most regular occurrence, we need the player in place for that because at the minute it is mix and match and sometimes it's fine, but a lot of times it isn't. Mm. Um, I do think that there's a couple of quite big decisions to be made now. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the right back that I sort of settled on in my own head is Arnaud Martinez of Girona who I, I just think has enormous potential and is already very, very good. Every time I see him play, I come away impressed. And I think he's he's very comfortable on the ball. He's not a you know an overlapping machine, but he's comfortable enough to get forward. And he's kind of like Joe in that regard, but more maybe a bit more measured in his passing than Joe. But I think defensively, his potential is sky high. Like he could be an Ivanovic type of right back if you really wanted him to be. He has the size. He, he needs to fill out a little bit, but he has this, you know, he's six foot, six one. He's good in the air. He's strong in the challenge. And he's very, very composed. And he reads the game really well. So if we did want to move Trent into midfield, I think I'd look at him, which in turn means an attacking left back. And there's more of them than there is, say, attacking right-backs. Because when you look at the attacking right-back market, Jeremy Frimpong is the obvious one. But for me, he's not a full-back. He's a wing-back. I think he's too small to play as a right-back in the Premier League for a team that wants to win the title. He's 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, he's quite thin. He's a machine going forward. An absolute... He's brilliant going forward. But I, I do think defensively he would be a liability. Now, look, as things stand, Ibu is already covering enormous amounts of ground, so I don't think Ibu would be too put out. But I do think someone like Martinez would make more sense. And then on the left side, you go for an Aitnuri, a Kirkes, if you could find the money for Estupin and would be great. But that's, you know, that's kind of where I'd land on it. Now, if, if you went for someone like Inacio, defensive left back and you're going for an attacking right back then it's a different conversation to have and then someone like Frimpong because you're going to shift into a back three anyway I think Frimpong then freed to go and bomb down the right could be interesting Do you expect us to sign anyone in January? Do you know I do and I think it's just it's more foolishness than anything else but like I, I think back to last year through December, we were being told Liverpool have no plans to add in January. And then Cody Gakbo happened. 
And the year before, Liverpool had no plans to add anybody. They definitely weren't adding anybody. James Pearce was mocking people, suggesting we should add. We're going for all four titles, all four trophies. We don't need anything. Look how strong we are. And then Diaz happened out of nowhere. So I kind of feel like Liverpool look for opportunities in January for players that they have interest in and they use misdirection and then they go out and they get the player as quick as they can to avoid any kind of bidding war. I think think Liverpool actually operate a little bit better in January than they do in the summer because they can get the deals get done quicker in January anyway, because selling clubs have less time to replace players. So they don't drag things out as much. They tend to just take a bid and either accept it or decline it and say, look, we're not, we're not interested. Whereas in the summer you get deals strung along for weeks and weeks and weeks. I think in January things happen quicker. And I, I think, I think we will do something. I could be wrong, but I think we will do something. Yeah, I mean, that would be fair enough, I think, if we were to add an option, let's call them, whether it's first team or not, given that at the minute, I think we, we're stuck on, like, I think it's just 10 players who have played 800 league minutes or more this season. We consider Salah is at the top of our tree for league minutes on 1,600. So you would expect, obviously, most of the first team to be, you know, 1,000 and above. We're only on, I think it's actually... Only nine of them have played 800 minutes or more, just looking at it now, because Kanate's not quite there yet. So it's um, it's not a deep one that we've got. It's okay at the minute, but I think if you start spreading out any more than we are at the minute, and obviously in January that is going to be the case because Salah, we've just mentioned, has played the most and is going to play the fewest in January, it, it might be very beneficial for us just to bring in one who has the option of giving, as I said, a knock-on effect elsewhere, even if yeah. that is a a midfielder, uh, sorry, a midfielder who lets someone push forward into attack or like you say, a defender, which lets Gomez, for example, shuffle across and Trent becomes a midfielder, which also has that knock-on effect. So all of it can, because we have quite a versatile squad, make a knock-on effect in other areas of the pitch and it might might just make a bit of a nice difference. Exactly. And, and the, the, you know, if, say, say it's Anasio and Gomez can now play more right back and we've got Robertson to come back. So Gomez can focus on right back. So he knows this is where I'm playing, just locking in on this role. And like you said, Trent can go into midfield. That then has the knock on of Harvey can go into the front three, or like you said earlier, Zabozlai can go into the front three. So it does have that domino effect and it could be very beneficial to us. So I think we should be active. I, I think... Too often in the past, we've just been a little bit guilty of being satisfied with where we are, you know? Like, there's there's almost an, an element among certain swaths of the fan base of kind of celebrating being in the mix and, you know, finishing second is seen as a as some sort of success. And I think that that does kind of live in the club as well. Like there's just times where they're just happy to be in the mix. There is an opportunity this year, and I'd like to see us go for it. And look, even if you go and you buy an Asio and you don't win the league, you've still got a really, really good player for the next eight or nine years. So it's not a short-term, well, we signed him, so we have to win the league this year. It's a long-term, this will help us win more trophies down the road type of move. And again, like with the holding midfield role, it's it's something that we have to get right 
you know, I think when we make our move, it's got to be the right piece. And I thought, you know, obviously in the summer, we went for Caicedo, we went for Lavia. Neither of them worked out. Both of them, I would imagine, regret their decision. I think we should have gone for Dukure. I think he would have been outstanding in this team, but his injury rules him out. The one we weren't linked with in the summer, what we talked about him a couple of times was Kamara. And it was just that you didn't think Villa were going to give up on, well, we're going to let him leave after a year, not give up on him because he'd been great, but you didn't feel like they were going to let him leave after a year. But the rumour is that he's got a buyout clause in his contract at the end of this year if they don't get top four. And while they're in a good position now, I, I, I kind of feel like when Spurs get everybody back, and if they add in January, I kind of feel like I back Spurs to be the team that rounds out the top four with ourselves, City and Arsenal. And if that's the case, then Kamara becomes an option for us and I think he's perfect. I genuinely don't think we could find better than Bubakar Kamara on the ball. He's exactly what we need in that role. And obviously defensively, he's outstanding. So I'd be happy to wait for someone like him you know, I, I really want us to get a six in. But if we went and bought Polina, and then let's let's say Arsenal in the summer went and got Kamara, I, I would be looking at that and thinking, we've made a mistake here. Because Odegaard, Kamara, Rice, that's a hell of a midfield. And as good as Zabozlai, Polina and, and Alexis would be, I think you'd still be leaning towards them in that midfield battle. Um, let's look around the league quickly before we jump on to Toon. Who else needs to do what in this window, Carl? Like, forgetting, you know, this team could do with player X or, you know, an addition here. Who needs to do something in, in terms of, They've got to buy a player for this role or they've got to look at changing the manager. Uh, Crystal Palace. I think there's just a woeful amount of drift, irrelevance and mm. just tiresomeness about them at this point. I think it's one win in 12, 13, something like that since the end of September. It just all feels very, very pointless because there's no, no, there's no real danger of them going down, let's be perfectly honest, unless Luton continue to what has been a really, really good improvement with three wins over the last six. Can they do that again and again, though, and sort of double the tally that they've already got in points at the minute? Maybe they can, but I still think Palace probably have enough individual quality to not really be worried about it across the course of the year. So why not use half a season as a springboard, a platform for a manager who can actually take them forward, actually create something of note, and then, you know, next year, a full year, a summer, Maybe you have to sell one of the good ones, the Elisa or Eze or whatever. But if not, then you've already put plans in place and shown them why they should stay, what you're giving them yeah. for the future. The minute they've not got any future there, it's just this season and the next season and the next season. And it's it's very, very frustrating to watch. I imagine it must be very frustrating for all those spoiled Crystal Palace fans, lest we forget. <laughs> um, I, I think that would be the team in the bottom half who I think must do something. And that's probably all I would say. Do you think... Barring, barring the teams in the relegation zone, obviously. But that's a different matter. 
It is. I mean, look, everybody, I think, would agree that if Burnley were to change manager, Vincent Company couldn't have too many complaints. You know, he did a great job getting them up. I think they play attractive football, but the bottom line is they've got 11 points and they're now four behind Luton who have a game in hand. Um, so nobody will be surprised if they made a change. The, the team below them have already made their change. Obviously, we've seen Forrest make their change as well. But I think you're right. I think Palace are the logical ones. Do you think Graham Potter would take that job? Because if it was me, if I was Steve Parrish, I would be going to Potter and saying, you're the guy we want. You bring your brand of football here. We've got we've got good goalkeepers, not top class, but good, in Dean Henderson and Sam Johnston. We've got a good young left back in Tyreek Mitchell. We've got one of the best centre-back pairings in the league in Gwehi and Anderson. He's injured for now, but he'll be back next season. And Czech Dekuri is one of the best holding midfielders in the league. You've got Eze and Elise, her two elite playmakers. You've got Matthias Franke, who I don't know why Roy won't play him, but that kid looks really special. You've got Ahamada, another really good young midfielder that, again, Roy won't give a look into. And you've got Eduard and Matete, who aren't great up front, but they're both decent players. And I think Eduard is a good player. But you come in now, we'll back you in January. Eze's signed a new deal. Elise is a year into a new deal. We promise to keep that. We'll give you 18 months with those players. Come in now. We'll back you in this window. We'll back you in the summer. And let's let's try and get ourselves into the top half. Let's try and have a bash at getting into Europe. Because why can't we? Why not us? Why can Brighton do it and we can't? Why can't we have a go at getting into Europe? Because we've got the foundational pieces. We've got plenty of talent here. We're a right back, a nine, and maybe one in midfield or a winger away from having a really, really good starting 11. And why can't we have some ambition to go with the talent that we have? Do you think would, would Graham Potter take that job? Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, I do. I think that's... uh... There's a little bit of the, you know, Brighton Crystal Palace thing. 
Mm. But I don't think that that's prohibitive, not to him, not not to. Well, and he left anything. Brighton under a cloud as well, so I don't think he's got too many close feelings for the club. No, like um, he 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 negotiated with Chelsea behind their back, so I don't think he's overly loyal to Brighton and Hove Albion Football Club. And like and the thing the that really thing excites is- me about Palace is I don't know if you've seen the documentary series on the sheer number of players coming out of South London. Palace are the only top flight club in South London. And they really could be tapping into that an awful lot better than they are. And maybe with a manager like Potter, who does focus on youth and does focus on development, maybe he could push them to be more aggressive and ambitious in their youth recruitment as well and stop the like the flood of elite level South London based talent that ends up at Chelsea or West Ham or United or wherever and keeps them in closer to home and Palace could maybe be a real hub for those players you know because it's a community club and if those players who grow up 10 miles from the club could play for their local team I, I do think you could see Palace potentially have a a bit of a resurgence here. And, you know, the the next Eze, the next Elise, the next Sancho, maybe they appear through Palace's academy rather than somewhere else. Yeah, I think that that's, we said this before when they they got rid of Hudson last time, in fact, that they had such an opportunity to put in plan a project, a project, real proving ground, not just for local players, but even the best of the championship, sign one of them a year, give them that opportunity, which they did start to do, to be fair. Um, That should be a club which allows them to thrive and then sell on to a bigger place and palace themselves grow and so on. And let Potter's one example, guys, just put another one in there. Steve Cooper has been linked with the job as well. I think he's another excellent example of someone who would do exactly that. Really, really strong track record of developing young players, giving them opportunities and improving a team, basically. Yeah. None of this happens at the minute. None of, none of it. It is the same team almost every week, barring injuries, the same style of play, and no map of where they're going. Nothing. No, because all Roy cares about is finishing in the kind of, you know, 13 to 15 range and not having a relegation scrap with three or four games left in the year. And he sees that as success. He doesn't have any ambition. And guys dropped another name in there, and I'll get to that in a sec. But Steve Cooper is an interesting one. I really like Steve Cooper. I just wonder if I, I never like it when a manager gets sacked and then jumps into another job really quickly. I never feel like that works out. And if if it goes badly and all of a sudden he's got two firings on his CV in an 18-month period that can really harm the career of a very good young manager. But kind of like Cooper to maybe wait. And I think come, you know, February, come March, April, there's probably another club who decide to make a change. Somewhere up and down the league, someone else might decide to make a change. And maybe then he's ready. Or maybe in the summer, he just takes a different job. If I was him, I'd wait. Guys mentioned Kieran McKenna. Now, I don't think there's any chance of getting Kieran McKenna right now because Ipswich are doing incredibly well. And I think he would like to get them to the Premier League and test himself there with Ipswich, the club that gave him his, his opportunity as a manager. 
And if he could take them from League One to the Premier League in two years with very little budget, I think that would be an amazing achievement. I think Kieran McKenna is such a good manager. And it really does make me laugh that Ollie had Kieran McKenna and Michael Carrick, both of whom play wonderful football on his staff and still served up Drek. But yeah, I think we'll agree Crystal Palace is a team that need to make a change in terms of the manager. And now is the time to do it. You've got this break coming up in the Premier League after the next round of games. This is the time to make the change. Say goodbye to Roy. Thank him for everything. Give him a gold watch and send him home. And go and get yourself someone like Graham Potter. We should move on to the point. Maybe more to the point. If it doesn't work out with Potter, don't go back. Yeah, no, don't don't ever hire Roy Hodgson again. I if I was if I was Parish, I might be looking at a change of director of football as well. Because I think Dougie Friedman's done some really good moves. I think he's done some bad moves as well. And I think if you look at the kind of the mess that their last managerial search was, when they ended up with Vieira, who was about their fifth choice. I don't think that was very good. It was Spurs in that same summer, you'll remember, had the hilarious situation where it took them four months to find a manager for Spurs. And that got all the attention, but Palace's was just as bad. They knew Roy was leaving from the April as well. And it still took them ages and they ended up with Vieira, who did well, but he wasn't anyone's first choice. They went, they looked at Deich, they looked at Cooper, they looked at Nuno, they looked at Lucien Favre, and then they ended up with Vieira. And that's a very broad range of managers who do different things. So there didn't seem to be any kind of targeted approach there. So I think I'd be looking at maybe changing him as well. Um, Another club that a lot of people are saying might be looking at changing manager in the next couple of months if things don't don't turn around are Newcastle United, Carol. Four defeats in their last five Premier League games. Walloped by Everton, walloped by Spurs, lost at Luton, and then lost at home to Nottingham Forest. That's a really poor run. Now, they did beat 10-man Fulham, in between that. But the 10-man thing is key because the Jimenez red card was a massive part of why Newcastle won that game. He sent off on 22 minutes. The game's nil-nil. It takes them until 57 to break the deadlock with Lewis Miley. Then Almiron scores and then Dan Byrne wraps it up. But that's their only win. They're only points in the last five. They've also been dumped out of the Champions League and faced the ignominy of being out of Europe entirely. Let's start with Eddie Howe. He's done a really good job there. Obviously, the first 18 months were brilliant. You know, lifted them from the bottom of the table, took them into the Champions League in 18 months. But this season, it, it feels like they've lost some of their identity. Is that just that teams are expecting what they're going to get from Newcastle a bit more. I know they've had some injuries and that's been a factor too, but is it just that Eddie Howe doesn't seem to have a plan B and his tactics have kind of been found out a little bit? Um, I, I don't think it's a case of being found out. I do think that they've lacked guile. 
I think something we spoke about a little while ago, um, I think it might have been before their Champions League game against PSG, or maybe it was the one of the following ones. They basically have played the same way, home and away, and domestically in Europe. And one, the European game is very, very different. So we, we, we spoke about that and that they would have to find that out. You can't just play the same way and expect to win unless you are basically one of the top two or three teams in the world, which they're not. Um, so I do think that that cost them in Europe, even like take the Milan game, the last game week of the Champions League. Yes, they were trying to win to get, you know, second place and all that. But first and foremost, don't lose from the position that they were in and stay in Europe and continue your European campaign. But they really, really shot themselves in the foot with that. And as you say, bottom of the group, no football at all in Europe. Um, the other thing is that they've played away from home in a similar style that they try to at home, but where they have constant noise and support and everything from a really, really big, boisterous crowd on home support, uh, sorry, on home soil, away from home, obviously, they don't. And I think the results this season away from home have been really, really poor, mostly over mm. the last sort of six weeks. But even before that, they weren't getting decent results. And I think that a lot of that is because they haven't yet come to terms with playing a slightly different way, whether that's being more pragmatic, whether it's trying to be rock solid and just take the draw or get a win if you can nick it or whatever way around they want to do it. I think they've tried to do things very, very much the same regardless of opponent, competition or location of the match. And you can't. Again, unless you are one of the two, three very, very best teams, that's a really, really difficult thing to do. The only thing I would say for their recent results that I would blame Howe for, because obviously this is due to injuries, right? There's there's horrific injury list there at the minute. But the only part of that I think he takes blame for is no rotation and mm. playing the same players. Because he has obviously got a, a very, very weakened bench and a lot of the time it's like young players who are making up the numbers and all the rest of it. But you know what? To that I would say, tough. Yeah. Basically, throw a game if you fucking need to. Learn. Yeah. You've just lost like... I think it's five out of the last seven away games or six away games or something like that. At one point, especially over Christmas, you've got to understand you're away to loot and fine, it'll be seen as a terrible result, but make sure you're in a position three days later to beat Nottingham Forest at home. Yeah. And he did, and he still played the same lineup. You've got people in there like Gimaris and Longstaff who have basically played every minute in midfield of a very demanding midfield system, especially off the ball. And then Lewis Miley, who's been unbelievable, by the way, but yeah. is a teenager who hadn't featured for you five months ago and is suddenly being asked to play 90 minutes or near enough to 90 minutes, game after game after game after game after game, every three, four days. So at some point, you should have lined up with like Kraft and Richie as your centre-backs, Dummer, uh, sorry, as your full-backs, Dummer as one of your centre-backs, Murphy and another youngster and maybe haul across the midfield. Fine. It's not going to be a good performance. It's probably not going to be a good result, but your starters would be fresher. You wouldn't be relying on them playing and being knackered and feeling bad and losing every three days. They would have been much, much better frame of mind for one of those games. If he's done that a month ago, again, maybe they lose one of the ones where they rotate heavily. Let's say, Maybe not Everton because that was straight after the the match. But let's say they did it against Tottenham 
right? They got hammered by Tottenham mm. 4-1 in the end. That was a really damaging result for confidence, for top four, for the performance level. The way Spurs just rode through them in the first half. Uh, and that came right before that critical match against AC Milan. So yeah, it's a big game domestically, but for the season, the Milan game was more important. And you'd already just failed to win, I think, five of the previous six or something like that, again, going into that match. So maybe mm. that one, you take one for the team. And again, against Luton, take one for the team. You've got a game three days later. Your players have played seven in a row without any changes really to the lineup. I think that's where he's really gone wrong. But again, I would say that that's part of what you learn being in a team in Europe for the first time. Like, yeah. I don't think that that's um, something he can that maybe he would have been able to know being told so yes that's one way of knowing but until you experience it maybe that's not the same way like if he played this last two months again I bet you he'd do different things in terms of his lineups and not just because of the results but because of the the spiralling the snowballing effect that each defeat has had and the added injuries that it's causing because players yeah. are, are breaking down and you know you look at them last season and what was so noticeable about them was how good they were defensively. The joint best defensive record in the league, 33 goals conceded. And as a result of that, they were really hard to beat. They needed us five times last season. And two of them were to us, who we just have some sort of hold over them. But they only lost five times last year. The only team who lost as few was City. Then you look at this season, they've already lost eight times. And they've conceded 25 goals already. So they're on target to concede 50, which is 17 more, which is an enormous amount more than last year. It's over 50% of what they conceded last year. So that's that's a huge, huge issue, is that defensively they've not been good. Now, big factor in that, they haven't had Botman for most of the year. And last year for me, he was the best centre-back in the Premier League. I thought he was absolutely outstanding. Fabian Schaar was very good. Kieran Trippier played very well. And Dan Byrne played very well. But they played all season long. This season, no Botman, but the other three have been there. Byrne missed some time with injury, but he's been there. But they've been played too much. I and mean, you've seen it in Kieran Trippier in recent weeks. Horrendous mistakes against Everton. Big mistakes against Spurs big mistake recently against Luton. Kieran Trippier has just played far too much football. Like those lads you were talking about in midfield, he also plays a very demanding role because he's asked to provide the width down that right-hand side. And he is now, what, 33 years of age, pushing 34? So at some point, there's just going to be a limit on how often he can play when you ask him to do as much. So I would ask the question as to why Kieran Trippier has played as much football as he has this season. 26 starts in all competitions, 18 in the league of 19 games. The only one he missed was through suspension. It wasn't through injury, it was through suspension. He wasn't rested. Like, you spent enormous money to bring Tino Livermento to the club in the summer. 32 million plus eight in add-ons. So why hasn't he played a little bit more in the right-back position that is his position. Most of his opportunities have come at left-back. 
but you bought Lewis Hall to play left back and he's had one start in the Premier League this season, nine appearances. Now, is that a little bit of buyer's remorse? Is that that maybe there's a clause in the obligation to buy that if he doesn't hit a certain number of games played, you don't have to buy him? I don't know. But what I do know is that Tina Livermanto and Lewis Hall are two of the best young fullbacks in England. And we're yet to see them play nearly enough while Kieran Trippier has fallen off a cliff and is still in the team week on week. Dan Byrne has been dealing with a quite serious back injury. And when a man is six foot seven, that's a big old back he has. And he's in the team every single week. Like there's another odd situation with Jamal Lachelles, who very clearly not a first choice player. Last season, he played seven games total in the Premier League. And I would guess half of them were off the bench. And yet he's in the team now playing as an abutment and he's your captain. But why is he your captain? If he wasn't first choice last year and didn't come into this season as first choice, why is he still the automatic captain when he plays? See, that kind of stuff bothers me. Because now you're adding a different voice in the dressing room on the pitch when the players have gotten used to hearing Trippier taking orders from Trippier, taking their lead from Trippier. Now, he can still do that, but now Lachelles is feeling like he can be the one to start dictating, to start rah, rah, rahing. And I, I just think that trolls things off. So... Going into this game, the tune, like you said, number of a number of absentees, Tonali suspended, Hope injured, Murphy injured, Barnes injured, Lachelle's injured, Willock injured, Anderson injured, Mankio and Target both injured as well. <clears throat> now, realistically, of that group. Tonali, Pope and Barnes are probably the only ones that are in their first choice 11. But it is taking away some of their depth. But they should still have a pretty strong team to put out against us. But like we've said, there's a lot of tired players in that group. So I'm looking at Dubravka in goal, Trippier, Schaar, Botman, uh, Byrne as a back four. And then midfield, Gamerish will obviously be in there. Longstaff will obviously be in there. And I assume Jolington will be the third one. And then in attack, Isak, Almiron and Gordon either side, do you think? Are you expecting any difference from that? I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, 
Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, Mac boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. I mean, the one thing that they have got coming into this game is that a couple of their players who have been out injured are now back, like literally for this match or just as appearance as a substitute in the previous match against Forest. So they, they do have a few more options than they have had over the last sort of five weeks or so, let's say. Um, Joe Linton, obviously a shorter term injury. Isak was out for a bit. Wilson's now back. Um, it's a little bit easier for them. Obviously, Botman that you mentioned just came back like two games ago, I think was his first one back. So it is a little easier for them. I would think that probably we see Joe Linton and Callum Wilson come into the starting lineups. Um, but whether that is for... Isak for, for Wilson, for example, straight swap, or they go with both of them and play one from the flank, which is very, very obviously a possibility so that they can rest someone like Almiron. Um, I think it's, I think he kind of has to at this point, you know, uh, there's been a, a really, really rough run of results. Forget circumstance now, at some point, just the fact that you keep losing these games matters. And over that last run, they've lost to Luton, lost to Forest. Um, the the one to Tottenham we mentioned and they lost to Everton as well they lost to Bournemouth before that in the Premier League as well so mm. you kind of have got to at some point say enough's enough we just play the minutes rather than the people at this point because again they're next two after us Sunderland in the FA Cup you can't go into a game like that even if the fans have been understanding over the last few weeks you can't go into a game of Sunderland v Newcastle play in knackered players produce a rubbish performance and go out they won't let that happen. Like the fans will not be accepting of any kind of excuses for that. And then after Sunderland is Man City. Yeah. So they have to be balancing it a little bit more at some point. And it is what four or five days, I think five days, isn't it between uh, the forest and the Liverpool matches for them. So it should be enough training and readiness time to make those changes, even for the players who have just come back from injury. I would expect Miley to not start against us. I know he's been really good, but Same. You know, he's one of the ones you, you need to protect, like, you know, as much from right. the, it's the situation. As the situation. It's, it's a game yeah. under the lights at Anfield. It's a very, very yeah. hostile place at times. The other thing for them as well, with that FA Cup game against Sunderland that you mentioned, the FA Cup is now their only chance at silverware. And I yeah. kind of feel like Eddie Howe might need some silverware to still have a job for next season because they're they're not going to be in the Champions League next year. No, I mean, not even just silverware, right? You're looking at Europe at this yeah. point and they're ninth in the table. They are four points off West Ham who are in far, far better form and they're sixth. So, and they just got dumped out of the League Cup as well yeah. by Chelsea with another trippier mistake and then the penalty miss because he's been overplayed. Um. Like I, 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 you look at them last season and you look at games played, Pope third in the league, 37, Trippier, 38, Botman, 36, Byrne, 38, Shar 36. Like, so that defense was basically there all season together. Uh, midfield, Jolington, 32, 
uh, Longstaff 33, Gamerish 32. So again, they had their midfield, Joe Willock 35. So they had their midfield all season long. <clears throat> they did have some injuries in attack. Obviously, Almiron played 34 games, but then Wilson played 31, but 10 of them were off the bench and Isak only played 22. So they did have some injury issues in attack last season, but their team was built on their defence and those players were there most weeks. And this season with the injuries because of the overplaying and the demands, like it's a little bit, like we we talked with this last season how they were almost a little bit like Liverpool light last season where they had a midfield that was there and primarily grafting, you know, overrunning teams, trying to overpower teams in the midfield. Obviously, they had the elite quality of Gamerish, but we'd had the elite quality of Fabinho. But the other two were were in there as workhorses, whether it was Jolington, Longstaff, Willock, whoever, um, doing the Henderson, Wijnaldum type of roles. And the back four was rock solid, like Liverpool's had been when, when we were winning the title and, and challenging for the title. Not as good individually, but a very, very good unit. And this season that hasn't been there for them. And, you know, they're, like you said, ninth in the league, five, four behind West Ham and in really poor form, going in the wrong direction. Four defeats from five in the league, plus that defeat, I suppose it counts officially as a draw against Chelsea. But they lost on penalties and went out. And obviously the defeat to to Milan as well. Like that's that's just really poor. And like even the way they went out of the Champions League, where they took four points from their first two games away to Milan home to PSG, and then they take one point from the next four games, like that, you know, th- this has been building with them. This is not just the last couple of weeks type of thing. They've been hit and miss. All season, really. You look back at the start of the year when they lost three in a row. Now, losing to <clears throat> to City, not an issue. But the manner of the defeat to us, that's very, very poor. And then Brighton wiped the floor with them. Then they bounced back and they won three in a row. They drew one, they won one, they drew one. They beat Arsenal. Did you beat Arsenal and you go to Bournemouth and lose? And Bournemouth hadn't started their run at that point. That was kind of what kick-started Bournemouth's run. Then you beat Chelsea, you beat United. Then you lose to Everton, you get walloped by Spurs, you beat Fulham. But the last two, I mean, losing to Luton and Forest in back-to-back games. And like you said, if they just rested their players in one of them and gone full bore for the Forest game, they, they, they probably win that game. But instead, they play the same exhausted players in both and they end up losing both. And rather than having three points from those two games, which preseason they'd probably marked as six, they end up with no points and two really poor performances. So they come to Anfield now, low on confidence, in their lowest league position since when they were certainly never that low last year. Uh, the lowest they hit, well, <coughs> I tell a lie. Uh, seven games in, they were 10th after five draws out of six games. Um, but the previous season, then obviously under how they'd, they'd turned things around and they'd ended up finishing 11th. 
Um, but you know, th- this is halfway into this season and they're sitting in ninth. So they're almost back where they were 18 months ago. And if they don't really seem to have an answer right now, like, it's the same style, like you said, in every single game. And the players right now just aren't up to it. They just don't have the physical capacity to do what's being demanded of them. And I still expect a tough game from them. And obviously they do have a lot of very good players. Botman is outstanding. Gimerish is, is incredible. Isak is a tremendous player. There's a lot of other talented players there as well. But... I do feel like we should be confident going into this one, Carl. We do have a bit of a hold over them. They're still crying about Fabio Carvalho's goal last season. They're still crying about Darwin this season. I feel like we should win this game. We absolutely should. We're at home for starters and we have been very nearly excellent. there, or very nearly perfect. I think we have been still excellent. Um, It's important, I think, for Liverpool that we win, given that we didn't the last two and definitely one of them, as you mentioned earlier, was a case of very, very dropped points. So I don't think we can have any kind of conversation about Liverpool going on and winning the title and stuff if you draw three in a row at home. Even though the names sound all right, Man United, Arsenal, Newcastle, we know that at least two of those matches are not what they were or what they could have been just by context of where the other teams are. So we do have to win this. But by the same token, we we should. And I think that we will. I think the first goal will be quite important because if Liverpool get it, and especially if we do as early as we did against Burnley, for example, with basically our first real shot, heads will drop just because of the context where they are. On the other hand, if they happen to score first with one of their attacks or if they happen to score first after we've had 25 minutes of dominance of possession, they suddenly have something to really fight for. And although, yeah, they'll be knackered, you have to obviously understand the the boost that players get for, you know, 10, 15 minutes at a time when they are protecting the lead, when they are unexpectedly beating Liverpool, when they are winning in the face of diversity. This is all the points of football and Premier League and sport in general that makes upsets happen. So mm-hmm. it's really, really key for us that we control matters. And I do think that the first goal will be a very, very important thing for the for the course of the game. I think Liverpool are capable of winning from behind. We've seen that before. And like you said, there's this mental thing that we appear to have over them at the minute, especially later on in matches. Um, Whether we bring back Fabio Carvalho to boost our options for this specific (laughs) game is up to each listener's imagination. But either way, we should have enough. And even if we do have to make a couple of changes or compromises in the start and 11, I think we still have to back us to win. Bring bring Carvalho back and just don't even put him in the squad. Just parade him around before the game. Yeah. Do, you remember, having... do you remember the the cup game against Everton where we brought back Nat Phillips on loan uh, from his loan in in Germany? He played that one game. I think he might Stuttgart, have even got yeah. man of the match and then sent him straight back again. <laughs> Maybe just just the threat. Just release a little bit of you know media reports around that. Don't even do it just before the game. Just while they're having their warm-up, just have them go and walk behind them, wave to the crowd. Um, so we have no matchup. He's done, obviously, for the season and might never play for the club again. No Bersetic, uh, God knows when he's going to be back. It, 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 it could be any time. Uh, no Robertson. Klopp kind of hinted that it'll be February before he's back, which is a bit of a blow. Uh, Thiago, 
they're hopeful he'll be back in team training in the next couple of weeks, which could be a big, big boost. Alexis Klopp said he could be back in training today. I haven't seen any pictures yet, so I don't know. And obviously Costas will be out for a while with the uh, the broken collarbone. Um, we did some rotating against Burnley. I assume we'll go as strong as we can in this one. If you look at our fixtures, obviously this is our last league game for three weeks. So we can go fairly strong. We do in the interim have uh, a league cup semi-final to take care of. But I, I, we also have an FA cup game that I would personally be throwing away. I think we've got three competitions that we should focus on. The EFL cup is ours to win. The Europa league, I feel like is ours to win. They should be priority. And obviously the premier league, the FA Cup, I'd be very happy to see us throw out a, a very mixed team with, with no real intention of winning the game. So I feel like we can go really strong here. So, and it is 10 days from this game to that Fulham game. So Allison, Trent, Ibu, Virgil, Gomez, I assume that's the back four. The only yep. real question would be Kwanzaa, but I think yep. it'll be Ibu. Yep. Midfield, Dom, Endo in his last game before he goes, and Curtis. I think even yep. if Alexis Fiddy comes off the bench. And then <clears throat> Salah, Darwin, and then left wing is a question mark. Diaz has not been in good form. Gakbo has not been in good form, but I did think the first half against Burnley, I thought he looked better played better from the left than him and then Diogo Jota who obviously came back against Burnley but I don't think I'd be rushing him back into the starting 11 so I think it's it's Cody but that feels harsh on Harvey Elliott Carl who I thought played well against Burnley it feels harsh to leave him out so is there is there a Harvey right side of the midfield Dominic left side of the front three possibility here I wouldn't, and I'll tell you why, because this is also Mo's last game before he goes. And two cup games coming up, I would just make Harvey Elliott the starter right wing for both of them, Arsenal and Fulham, and see where we go from there, see where Elliott is from there, see what we perform in terms of whether he dovetails with Sobel's lie, whoever it is in each game. Um, Elliott can still have an impact in this match off the bench for us, wherever we need him to. But I think you just, like you said, go full strength in this one. Harvey knows he's got a chance coming up after that with with two successive games okay. in quick succession. And uh, yeah, just let's just get this game as a win and don't worry too much about everything else. I actually think we'll go quite strong against Arsenal as well because there will already be rotation forced upon us by the two who are not going to be here. And potentially someone might come back from injury, let's say. Might might be the case, might not be from the start, but you know we've got six days between Burnley and Newcastle. We've got six days between Newcastle and Arsenal. So yeah, Fulham is the priority, but Fulham's also at home, and there's no games after that for us for eleven days. So yeah, I do think that we'll go. I do think we'll kind of go very strong against all three of them. To be honest, it would be nice to knock Arsenal out of the FA Cup, even if we were out in the fourth round. It'd just be nice, even. That's the thing, though. If you knock Arsenal out at this point, 
you know, there might be, let's say, half a dozen teams on their day, cup match, can trouble us, whatever. It might be in a way draw. If we do manage to knock Arsenal out, you might not get another Premier League team until the quarterfinals. Yes. Yeah. You know, and you're really only looking at City that you'd be worried about, or Villa away. Yeah, I mean, like I said, there's half a dozen who, on their day, you know, if you get Newcastle in the quarterfinals three months down the line, it's at St. James's and they've got all the players back. Obviously, that's a difficult game. Play West Ham away or whatever. But you don't know and you haven't got to worry about it at this point. So I, I am in favour, actually, of going pretty strong in all three matches just by the context of rest days around. Yeah, that's fair. That is fair. Um, and, you know, we do play Arsenal, obviously, in the league early in February. So if we could beat them in the FA Cup, it might just it might just give us a bit of a psychological advantage over them before we go there in the league. Um, yeah, yeah, fair. Um, so Gakbo left wing then is what we're settling on? Over Diaz? Over yeah, Jota, I would. And Jota I would from, off the bench? Yeah, I would from the start go with Gakbo. He played pretty well. Obviously got the goal a couple of games ago. Just see if we can keep the confidence going at least he's going to be needed to be playing better and scoring goals so let's see if we can do that yeah and I think having Jones behind him in midfield will help as well because it's just another nothing performance from Gravenberg and it didn't really give Gakpo the support he needed so um, yeah I think that's that's fair right um, prediction time I'm going to go for a 1-0 Liverpool win oh Remarkably low key of you to start the new year. Very, very reserved. Very reserved. One nil back top of the league. May I ask why? Um, I kind of feel like, given how they've been in the last while, they're going to come with a big focus on let's keep it really tight at the back. And it's one of those games where I think they'll try and frustrate us. I think we might end up getting a goal from like a long range shot or something like that. Cause that's where I think Dubravka will let them down. But I, I just think they're going to, they're going to try and spoil the game. I think we'll see a lot of the dark art stuff that we saw last season when they were, you know, kind of every, not everybody's favorite underdog, but you know what I mean? Like they were yeah. seen as this, Oh, well look at the Eddie Howe, what a job he's done. Like they were bottom. Now they're, in the mix for top four, this is great. Look at look how impressive this is. And the ball will be in play for about 12 of the 90 minutes. Kind of feel like they might come and do that. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if they try and do that. I'm going to back Liverpool to be far more explosive and quick-paced about their play, though, and create a lot of chances. I'm going to say that we create enough chances and play well enough for a 4 or 5 nil game. Maybe I four haven't or five factored one, in the Kieran Trippier goal that he's going to give us. <laughs> so I'm going to say 2-0 we'll I'll go 2-0 okay fine so I think we'll create enough chances and play well enough for that kind of score line but I don't think we'll score that many because I just don't think that our forwards are at that level at the minute but I do think we'll you know we'll make a couple of them count so I'll go for 3 I'll go for 3-0 cool right there we go that is us for today folks we will be back next week to preview Arsenal and to do a bit more on the January transfer window and then we have that break where we'll probably, we've got a couple that are outstanding that we haven't done, um, a couple of questions and fixing things and other stuff that were sent in to us that we, we will have to revisit. So um, that's kind of the plan moving forward. We might just put one together as well where we take 
each of the like the positions that we both that we each feel Liverpool need to address and maybe put forward some some suggestions, some that haven't been talked about today and haven't necessarily been linked in the media. Uh, is there anything you want to plug before you go? No, no, no. Just uh, I think we'll usual of if people want us to answer any questions in the upcoming break that we've got or do any kind of features, then by all means, leave us a message in Discord and uh, we'll try and get that done when Liverpool are not playing for two weeks. There you go. Right. Take care of yourselves, folks. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.